0: my experience every time there's been a change even though sometimes it's been painful uh, ultimately we come out the better for it.
1: This is Sarah Bordeev and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. We're back with another conversation from the Summit series. This year, Sam welcomed 10 mentors and 10 mentees to the program to share in six conversations about the past, present, and future of the mountain resort industry. In this six-episode run, we'll be sharing these conversations here on PodSam and in the pages of Sam Magazine. On this episode, we talk effective teams with Chris McGinnis, president of Crystal Mountain, Michigan, Carolyn Crowley-Stimson, CEO of Wachusett Mountain, Massachusetts, and Greg Goddard, then general manager of Gunstock Mountain Resort New Hampshire, who has recently retired after 39 years with the resort. The mountain resort industry is in a moment of upheaval as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Resorts had to end their winter seasons early, and many, if not all, furloughed or laid off staff while the world temporarily shut down. As staff return for the upcoming season, it will be more important than ever that industry leaders work to rebuild and relaunch Effective Teams, as these groups will be the ones determining how we operate in the new normal. The series Effective Teams conversation took place in November 2019, and it's full of great insights for normal times. However, to contextualize this conversation to the challenges of today, we leverage the expertise of High Peaks Group founder and Summit Series facilitator, Paul Tallner, and we'll be interspersing his knowledge into the conversation. If you've listened to Summit Series episodes before, which you should, you know this audio is derived from actual conference calls, so there is the standard call interference, but it's totally worth it. With that, we'll hand it off to SAM publisher, Olivia Rowan. We're looking forward to today's summit series conversation on building effective teams. This topic is top of mind, absolutely, for leaders in all levels of their career, and we're excited for our mentees to have the opportunities to discuss this with our mentors today. Thank you to the three of you for joining us and, and lending us uh, a chance to pick your brains and ask some questions of you. <laughs> with that, we're going to get started here with our facilitator, Paul Fallner, who's the CEO of High Peaks Group. So with that, Paul. Thanks so much, and gonna kick it off. Um, you're gonna kick it off now for us.
2: Thanks so much, Olivia, and welcome, everybody. I uh, really appreciate everybody being here. And um, I wanted to uh, invite our mentors to just uh, introduce themselves. That way, the mentees can get a sense, can match up the voice with the name. Uh, so uh, why don't we go with Carolyn, Chris, and Greg? Just you know, say your name. The, resort you're at and the uh, state you live in, and um, let's see, uh, the first place you ever skied. How's that for a, an icebreaker? <clears throat> So,
3: Carol? Okay, so Carolyn here from Wachusett in Massachusetts, and actually that's how we got in the ski business. Is um, my dad was a big hockey player, and we dragged him uh, um, out. He, he we made him take us kids because we sucked at at skating. So we made him take us kids um, out to Mount Snow, and um, at the end of the day, he couldn't take the Mass Pike back because he had no money. So uh, it cost him a hundred bucks to take all five of us kids out skiing for the day, and. Uh, And when what you said came up for lease, he said, anyone who can get a hundred bucks out of Ralph Crowley on a Saturday morning is doing something right. And that's how we're in the ski biz.
4: (laughs) That's great. Sounds like Chris. So this is Chris McInnes. I don't know that my story is quite as similar. So it's Chris McKinnis. It's Crystal Mountain. This is really important. Michigan. Lots of times people think it's Crystal Mountain, Washington. And they, you know, they ask us, so what's the weather like up at the, uh, at the at, you know, up at the base lodge, which at Crystal Mountain, Washington is up at the top. Is it the same as in the parking lot? And, uh, you know, for, with our uh, 375 feet of vertical, what's in the parking lot, what's at top and what's at the parking lot are real similar. Um, I pretty much, like Carolyn, I, I grew up skiing. My, my first day of skiing was unbelievable. I was four years old, and there were skis under the Christmas tree. We were at my grandparents. And that was it, game over. My brother and I, he was three, we took our little skis, and we went out. I'm I, I, honest God, I believe it was across the road. I can't believe my parents let us do that, and we started sliding, and you know, it's been love ever since. Uh, there was then a, you know, kind of a community ski hill in the town, and then the, the ski club built what today is now the uh, resort that we run. It started out as, again, a community ski area, Buck Hills with you know, volunteer labor and a Volkswagen engine uh, powered the rope tow. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it.
0: Hi, Greg Goddard here, Gunstock Mountain Resort, central part of New Hampshire. Um, I started here at Gunstock in the fall of 1981 as a part-time bartender and never left. I'm just about to end my 39-year career here at the resort doing all sorts of different things. Um, in support of all the sports we love. My first run was at the Guilford Outing Club. I was a late bloomer. I started in fourth grade, and uh, my first—this was a little parent-run rope tow. It's actually at the very bottom of the hill on the road that comes to Gunstock. And uh, my first run was on Flip Flop, and my second run was on Bone Crusher. And I made them both. Felt very excited about myself, and have been enjoying the
2: sport ever since. Awesome, that's great. Thanks, thanks to all three of you for uh, those really uh, interesting uh, uh, memories. Uh, I, I'm going way back to my my childhood. As I'm sure everybody on the call is so. Um, so we're here to talk about team effectiveness today, and, and uh, you know we all work in teams a lot. And we all uh, lead teams from time to time. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, what makes a good team. What are the challenges associated with team working, etc. So let's get let's get started uh with this kind of basic question here. but the question is this. How do you define an effective team? How do you even know one when you see one? So
3: Carolyn, ooh, what do you think? Oh, a stumper right out of the blocks, man. So uh, I think you, you just know. I think uh, I, I was actually uh, just flashed when my, my cousin said, how do you know when, when um, the person that you're dating is the right one? It's sort of the same way. It's sort of like you know when you know. It's like it just works. It flows um, you know, you don't have to have a, a ton of discussion. You just kind of, you know, do what your part of the equation is and, and everyone clicks together. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it just, it flows. It works. Um, and, and I'm sorry not to have anything more deep than that to say.
2: That's great. No, that's excellent. So that that sense of flow and almost like the unspoken, just people just kind of fall into their roles and do their thing. Uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and say, give us your kind of definition of an effective team?
4: Sure. You know, we say it's like an orchestra, and it's kind of when the magic happens. Um, when, you know, and it's the magic for our guests and our financially, it's when we're all playing our own parts, our own music, but we're all in tune, and it's all part of a greater score. And I think a couple of keys in terms of defining an effective team. A effective team. Uh, one would be personal skill. Another, and here we are today, you know, it's preparation. When you think about an orchestra, the success of an orchestra, the, the different musicians in the orchestra, we, you know, Carolyn has hit on uh, on flow. I think it's it, 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 it's similar here, but it's carefully listening to the other voices. What are other people saying? All right, what what are we hearing? Because it's not just the role I play, but it's the role that all the other musicians with that piece of music are playing. I think another really, really important part about effective teams, and this is trust. This is trusting the other members if we want to go with the orchestra analogy, trusting the other members of the orchestra to play their parts and to play their parts as best they can. Um, another, you know, another, I don't wanna say concept that what I think about a team, an effective team, it's that the whole is greater than the sum of the part. So maybe that provides, so I think that kind of builds on what Carolyn is saying. And much, m- much more succinctly as well. Well, I don't know that it was more succinct Carolyn, but, but maybe it, it, it builds on that.
2: For sure. Yeah, there's some themes developing, right? This idea of flow, which is a, a, a very important concept and in, not in, in all teams is everybody kind of knowing, you know, being in that in that zone together. That's great. Um, Greg, how would you define an effective team?
0: Well, you know, I love the orchestra example. You know, I, I was uh, I, I went back to my my wife used to race sled dogs and uh, sled dogs are a wonderful example of a team all pulling together and you know the leader of the sled dog team is actually in the back and the the team is ahead of them listening to directions and you know all pulling in the same direction and all loving what they're doing while they're doing it and i think those are important parts of of an effective team one of the things that i kind of sat on as far as uh, how do you know you have or are part of an effective team And I think that it's when it becomes about the mission and becomes about the work and effective teams don't worry too much about each other and what each other is doing or not doing. Um, They stop talking about each other and start talking about the work. And I've been on both, you know, ineffective teams where there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of people worrying about what somebody else isn't doing or I'm doing more work than they're doing or you know, that sort of thing, to where it's really about what needs to get done, how are we most effectively going to do it, how do we set up the rules of engagement and how we're going to make that happen, and then we just go and do it and make it happen.
1: We talked with High Peaks Group and Summit Series facilitator Paul Tallner about what, in his experience, makes up an effective team.
2: So, um, th- there are two really important parts to an effective team. The first is the people, and the second is the design. And, uh, while, you know, you're somewhat limited by the people that you have to place on teams, the design is something you can actually improve upon no matter who's part of the team. So the three, the, there are six really important parts of a team design that guarantee almost, or at least stack the deck in favor of team success, right? So that's, is it a real team? Does it have a compelling purpose? and are the right people on the team? And then the second group of three things is, does the team have a sound structure? Is there a supportive context around the team that helps it do its work? And is there someone um, coaching the team? Meaning, uh, whether it's an internal person, someone on the team itself, or an external person, just keeping an eye on the team functioning and, and sort of bringing the team back to uh, you know, constant awareness of of the team working that has to happen in order for, order for a team to be effective. But I can, uh, we can go into detail about what each of those six items is. But those are the those are the core elements of what an effective team is. Right. Is it a real team? And and a real team means uh, is it uh, you know is it bounded? Meaning does Does everybody who's on the team know that they're on the team? And is it clear who's on and off the team? Um, Is it stable, meaning does the team meet frequently enough and the same membership stick around long enough for them to actually do meaningful work? Uh, And and is it interdependent, meaning does the team, when it comes together, do work that only that team can do and, and requires people to work together to get stuff done? So bounded, stable, and interdependent make up a real team yeah.
1: similar to um the metaphor that chris used during the conversation uh in terms of an orchestra you know everybody mm-hmm. knows their part that they're playing they all know that they're they're part of the you know, working towards the the score um but they all have their own part to play
2: a hundred percent yeah absolutely that's a perfect metaphor for a team because um you know, not only does everybody know the, the, their roles, but they also know the music that they're playing, which is another really important part of a team, which is the compelling purpose, right? So if we're all, you know, uh, producing the same uh, song, uh, then we all can move in that direction together. Uh, and, and that's what makes uh, knowing your role, keeping people on the team and having them all work together so important. This, this next question really is to uh, go back into, the, into your own mental archives a little bit and, and, and remember a time when you were on a really effective team yourself. Could you share a story of a, a memorable moment when you really, you know, you were on a fantastic team, you were fully engaged, and you just kind of realized, wow, we're better, we're, we're kind of greater than the sum of our parts?
3: Um, In our case, it was uh, a couple of years ago, we had um, uh, Sam Adams Beer wanted to do a a big uh, jump um, event and they they came in with um, professional uh, skiers and riders, and we it was a, it was in the middle of the season and it was um, uh, it was such a major project it, it it was it was one of those things where you kind of oh yeah we'll do that and then it's like holy crud we got to make a 150 foot jump in the middle of the trail in the middle of the season and and it was all hands on deck from every department and it went off. So well, it blew everyone's mind. So it was a 50-foot jump, a, a little bit of um, uh, exaggeration, but um, they had fireworks, they had lasers and um, giant um, beer cans on the sides of the jump, and it was snowmaking, it was grooming, it was um, food and beverage. Holy crud, you wouldn't believe how much beer we sold that night. We had beer um, events, you know, tents everywhere in the base area. There were thousands of people that came out of nowhere to come see the event, and every Everyone was so psyched and loved it and it went off flawlessly except for the one guy that went off sideways and splatted pretty good, but he, 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 was, uh, he, he came through it okay. But um, it, was, it was the kind of event that everyone was so proud and psyched to be part of and the people loved it. The The, the planners who had done it at a bunch of um, different areas said that they were blown away at how well it went here. So everyone was psyched and, and felt honored to be part of it.
2: That's phenomenal, Carolyn. Thanks. Chris, how about a memorable team experience for you?
4: Yeah, you know, I love this question and I spent a little bit of time thinking about it. Um, And so it it won't be too long, but, but, but bear with me because a little bit of background about who we are, because this is how we do stuff. This is, you know, this is actually a core value. And from my perspective, a really, really good example of how we do stuff is development. So we're both resort operators and resort community developers. Now it's just at our place, you know, we are multi-property, but over the last 30 years, we've done about hundred million. In, in projects, both residential, real estate, and resort facilities, and I'm going to say amenities and infrastructure. You name it, we've done it. But whenever we embark on a major project, all right, what we do is we assemble a team of internal and external resources. And key for that team, and it goes back to what's an effective team. It's, it's a diverse skill set. It's architects, it's land planners, it's interior designers, engineers, financial people, sales and marketing, both internally and externally, operations internally together. So we put this project team together, and we do this from the get-go, and that's really, uh, really uh, important, and collaboratively we go through again the process of i'm going to say envisioning debating quantifying revising our assumptions redefining very importantly we we challenge we challenge each other's thinking we challenge our own thinking that means we kind of argue i mean it's not it's not that we all agree because we think the richest outcomes come from that you know that that process of d- debate um, and continuing uh, um, iterations and revisions um, and you know this process can feel you know particularly when you're talking about a major project. I mean it can feel clumsy. It can feel messy. Lots of us, and I'm 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 certainly guilty of this. I just want to get stuff done. But I also really, really want to get it done right, and we all do. But as we go through this process, I'm going to say of definition and discernment um, as a team, and each person brings their unique skills and perspectives, um, and, again, this commitment to working together in an atmosphere of trust and respect. But what happens is we end up with a common shared vision so once we actually proceed on the project things go quite quickly we're quite efficient we don't often have very many change orders or what have you but the real magic is at the end of the project And actually as as we start out we have a shared vision at the end of that project we all celebrate in its success it's not my idea it's not his idea it's not her idea it's all our ideas so we again all have ownership in what comes what what comes out and to me that's a really important part of that of a effective team is this shared ownership um you're not playing a solo though you may have indiv- you have individual parts but you're all um you, you know um, again sharing in the success and celebrating it with the entire team. And that's how we do development. And I think this is how we've been able to do over the last 30 some years, um, you know, significant and very high quality development.
2: Thank you so much for that, Chris. There's a lot in there. Uh, So many aspects of what you talked about are the ingredients of uh, effective team. Greg, do you want to share a story of a memorable moment of team effect. yeah, I actually thought about this one a lot as well. And
0: I, I have had a number of different examples, but I think I'm going to settle on the one that I think I'm personally the, the most proud of, and that was the development of our adventure park. Um, we were pretty early adopters of, of summer adventures, and when we got into that business, we did it in a pretty big way. We built what was at the time the continental US's largest um, single span zip lines. Uh, the largest aerial tree adventure course, and a very robust off-road Segway tour business. And those were sort of the big three of our, our first uh, summer in that business. And in particular, in the zip line part of it, it's uh, a Terra Nova zip tour. And it was the first large commercial operation of that particular type of zip line that had ever been built. And we really didn't have a lot of guidance as to how to operate the thing uh, you know, efficiently and effectively. And um, the team just jumped right into their areas of expertise without a lot of guidance from me. I mean, we talked about it a lot and the things that needed to get done. But, you know, as examples, um, the people that run our uh, ski patrol safety services, uh, it gave them a year-round employment opportunity and they very, very quickly uh, dove into uh, emergency evacuations, uh, weather protocols, uh, daily and weekly checklists, those sorts of things. The Lyft guys adopted the cables for the zip line as being something that was in their bailiwick. So. They developed the policies and procedures and protocols for measuring the lines and getting data on you know whether they needed to be tensioned and the processes for tensioning tensioning them and then the actual people that were running the adventure park worked on the guide side um, all of the training that those folks needed to go through and the same thing the week you know daily weekly checklists and things that needed to be done And they did it in an extremely short period of time. And our first summer, we essentially doubled what we expected we were going to have in sales. And the the marks we got from the guests uh, led credence to the fact that we had done a pretty good job of preparing the whole thing because uh, we just got rave reviews and kudos from uh, the public about the operation, uh, even to the point where our Segway tours were uh, mystery shopped by the CEO of Segway. He didn't tell us who he was. Um, he just came and did a tour, came back about two weeks later with a crystal trophy and a case of champagne and anointed us the world's best off-road Segway tour. So we were something that we were pretty proud of. But the way that whole project came together and, and the the individual talent that put together a cohesive business plan and operating plan for that was really remarkable.
1: We asked Paul to define exactly what team effectiveness is.
2: Well, I I would want to just mention you know what is an effect what how do you define a a team's effectiveness generally, right? So I think you know there are elements that that sort of are the structural elements of what an effective team is, but do we even know what team effectiveness actually is. And I think it's important to note that there's really three things that comprise team effectiveness. One, of course, is the results, right? So every team has some goal that it should meet, right? And that's number one. So that's essentially that the output of that team needs to exceed the expectations of whoever it is that created the team. But the other two are really important as well. The, The quality of the group performance is is another definition of team effectiveness. So that means does the team actually become better at at its job because it's performed together over time? So going back to that orchestra example, like if you put five really talented musicians together, the very first time they play together, it might not sound that great, but they're gonna get better over time because they're gonna be working together more often. That's, That's a definition of effectiveness. And then the third definition is Um, Are the individuals on those teams getting better as a result of being on the team? So if you have five musicians again, and there's a guitar player, is that guitar player actually leveling up his or her game because of their participation on that team? Are they being challenged to work harder or do new things or innovate uh, or come up with new solutions and things like that? So all three of those those things together, make up team effectiveness. And I think leaders should really focus on all three of those things when they measure whether a team's doing a good job. All of this is measurable, right? So, and a lot of times data can serve a really important purpose in this very kind of chaotic world that we're living in, right? Because when, when we're in chaos, you know, we're just getting all of these data points flying around and we, it's hard to make sense of anything. But if you measure a team's effectiveness, that gives you a very solid foundation on which to um, help them become even better. So at least you can get one point of very strong, solid, you know, uh, data and a foundation to build on, uh, which is a nice change compared to the chaos that's going around around us all, all the time. You've heard from me. Now let's hear from the mentees. They've got They've queued up a number of really great questions to tap your brains and learning and experience. Uh, turn it over to Nick from Blue Mountain to ask uh, the question. So Nick, go ahead.
5: Hey, uh, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you guys are, depending on which coast. Um, but I had a question and I, I thought about this for a good bit before I wrote it. And uh, you know, it's something we struggle with year to year, but this year seems a little bit harder than the rest of the years. Um, so, my question was with the job market booming, how can department managers be expected to find people and build a successful team with such limited resources and pay? So, you know, perfect example we had our job fair um, about yeah. two weeks ago. And, you know, as department manager, you know, there's nothing we can do for right now on, on so much changing the pay rate of what we can hire, you know, entry level snowmakers in it. And year to year, you know, we just always kind of get by. We're, we're able to find some people here and there. Um, but this year in particular, we, we've just been able to find absolutely no one. Um, guys that we've had have all been, you know, on our day crew, night crew, have all been here for a long time. You know, we're talking five plus, six plus years. Um, and we can't seem to retain anybody lately. You know, we have guys, like I said, six-year guys um, that are leaving this year. Yeah. The job market in Pennsylvania right now is just insane. Um, yeah. We can not keep anybody on the team or find anybody.
4: We have this very similar, pro, pro, you know, I'm going to say challenges here in Michigan. And even though you say you, your pay rate is fixed, one of the first things that I look at, and maybe this is wrong, but I say, is the pay scale realistic? Um, and, you know, when I look at that, and I look at the tough jobs that we have in the ski industry. Particularly, let's say, snow making when you know, you're working at night, it's cold, it's exhausting, technical. Are we paying the right wage? Um, you know, Again, I say the same thing with ski instructors. Very often, when we can't find people or we can't retain them, it often isn't about the work environment per se. It's about do we have our compensation? Do we have our our pay scale correct? And we try to take a pretty good look what's happening in the region, what's happening, what does the NSAA tell us? Um, you know, what are the analogous jobs for ticket for ticket sellers? And this is tough, but that's a transaction. You know, that's a teller position. What if I go work for a bank? What am I going to get paid? Well, this is a more fun environment and it may be less complex, but still, there can't be big gaps between what, um, you know, I think what analogous kinds of functions are. So sometimes we have to go back to the well in terms of thinking about, again, what are our pay scale. Another thing that I I look at is what kind of benefits do we offer. So a lot of our people um, are year-round and they are fully benefited. Um, they, or at least, they have the opportunity to be. They're not just seasonal employees. Um, another example, and I think this is a tough example, but it certainly is one that's appreciated. And you know, other people can weigh in here, but uh, Vale uh, offers ski instructors uh, health insurance after a very, very short employment period. Um, all of our full-time employees, and that's about 350 people. uh, Actually, we have about 200 that have health insurance. And health insurance really, really helps uh, to retain people. Uh, Again, I think another thing that we do here at Crystal, and it really helps, is what are the user benefits? So our user benefits, um, our employees not only... Uh, can they use uh, our, you know, can they ski and can can they use our swimming pool and fitness center? And um, but also we try to make it available for the families. Now we do try to limit it if it's a super busy day, not so much. But it's not just the person, but it's also their families. Uh, and you know we have situations where people say, well, we where the kids say. We want our parents to work at Crystal so we can can play there. Another thing that we really work on, and you hit on it, um, but we really try to encourage and uh, make sure that the wage scale for our returning staff, you know, let's say staff that is just there for for the winter, but they come back year after year. We try to make sure that again they get uh, raises, that they are that their experience is uh, recognized um in in their wage uh so that they're not starting over again at an entry level position I, i'm sure greg and carolyn have some other suggestions
0: so nick i i just want to tell you i feel your pain it's it's yeah. uh it's new uh, new hampshire's unemployment rate rate right now is 2.9 percent and uh we have For the first time in a long time been experiencing the the kind of difficulties that you're talking about um you know i I guess i could offer just a couple of things one and particularly this is is for things like snowmaking um and i i guess i have a question do you do you have your snowmakers work for the entire season do you find other things for them to do when they're done
5: So this is somewhat new for us this year. Um, We used to only bring people on. We'd have them work seasonally. And then at the end of winter, obviously, we'd release them. Um, Most of our guys were landscapers, concrete guys, construction. So they go back to their normal job. Um, But we started probably over the last two years. We're retaining those employees to be on board year-round.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a big key. Um, We're doing the same thing. Uh, And, and, you know, yes, if they're full-time year-round people, then you do have the cost of benefits. But in the long haul, You know, they're there when you need them. And uh, we try to do a lot of uh, uh, cross-training and job sharing. Uh, We have people right now that are working in snowmaking that once the tubing operation is up and built, uh, will transfer over to tubing. The snowmakers will all transfer either into uh, lift operations, rental operations, those sorts of things. And so, you know, giving them that stability at at the very least through the winter season certainly seems to help. Uh, the pay thing certainly is, is uh, you know, a hot-button issue everywhere. I know a lot of places around here are doing um, end-of-season bonuses for things like snowmaking. So, you know, you sign on and you uh, really stick around for the season and uh, you, you receive a bonus in recognition of the fact that you, you know, uh, stayed for the entire year. Uh, obviously, the work culture thing, we have a thing here at Gunstock, we call it blurring the line between work and play, and we really emphasize uh, the aspects of working at a ski resort that are different than working at another place, even though the wages might be a little bit different. And then I know we're going a little long here, but the last thing I would tell you, and this is just sort of professional advice, um, somebody told me a long time ago that you need to manage up as, as hard as you manage down. And I know how frustrating it can be at a department manager level in particular, to feel like you're powerless to do anything about things like, you know, wage pressure and that sort of thing. Uh, But don't be afraid to talk about it. We ran into a situation last year where we couldn't find shuttle bus drivers. We found out that, you know, the local school systems or whatever were paying $3 an hour more than we were. And we just had to bite the bullet and start paying people that wage. And, you know, that was something that if the department manager hadn't come to me and our HR director. And been very vocal about the frustrations that he was having in getting those people hired we probably wouldn't have done that so it's something that you know to keep in mind that it's okay to talk about those frustrations and and maybe help uh, have people collaborate on on maybe doing those things whether it's a bonus or a buck an hour that you know may get you over that hump because i mean we all know especially in your neck of the woods if you can't make snow you're not going to be operating
3: so, uh, we have the good fortune of having a lot of, um, schools in the area, uh, 20 colleges within a half hour and, uh, and a lot of residential um, people you know, living so so we do have access to humans which is kind of one of the keys so um, we we actually do programs with with the local colleges and 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 you know put the word out there um, we have a bring a friend program with our 1200 employees you know bring somebody that you think is is uh, would like is is fun and, and, and likes people like you um, we just had our job fair the other day and and um, it was a little quieter than usual um, we only had a, a few hundred people show up Um, last year we had a line across the parking lot in the pouring rain so we were kind of excited to have that kind of turnout for it Um, mostly because people like being here and they understand that it's it's a, a good place to work and it's a part-time job and you get the benefits and the skiing and all that kind of good stuff so um I, I was bringing uh, my brownies to uh to the snowmaking crew the other day and I said you guys psyched they were ecstatic to be going and making snow they were so thrilled we keep our snowmakers making snow throughout the season because we we wear it out with our 400,000 skier visits on 100 acres so um we we are constantly touching it up and and if they're not working on snowmaking, they'll, they'll Work lifts in other other departments if they want to. A lot of them are, are landscapers and <clears throat> we have one of our snowmakers that was is building the back deck that we're just putting in a, a radiant heated huge um, deck area and and he's graduated from uh, from uh, making snow to building our our um, uh, radiant heat deck. So it's it's great that these guys keep their relationships. You know they they know the team they know the people they like to be here. They're they're you know excited enthusiastic another thing we do that just helps them stay motivated through the season is if they they work a thousand hours during the season we have a skier visit bonus based on how many how many people come through here so that when it's busy they're excited to to uh, they're as excited as we are to see the people coming through the door. So, um, you know, depending on what what level of skier visits, that's how much they get at the end of the year, which is oftentimes a really uh, good chunk of change. So, um, that's kind of some of the things that we do. And most of our employees have been here, well, since birth. You know, it's it's families, it's uh, it's generational. So we we've got um, people that are you know their parents worked here, their their um, their kids are working here, so that kind of thing.
1: The Podsam conversation continues after we thank Podsam and Summit Series partner, Mountain Guard. How many skier visits are you doing? 5,000? 5, 5 million? I'm going to guess it's somewhere in between. Specializing exclusively in insuring the ski industry since 1962, Mountain Guard has become the largest writer of ski resort insurance in North America. No matter your size, your resort needs the expertise and experience that Mountain Guard can provide. Head over to mountainguard.com where you'll be able to make quick contact with their eastern or western experts customers know them as tim barnhorst tim hendrickson and beau adams www.mountainguard.com when we hosted this conversation the economy was booming unemployment was at an all-time low and as of june 2020 this is no longer the case as leaders look to hire for the upcoming season and build up their teams during this period of transition we asked Paul to highlight what effective leaders are doing to build up their teams.
2: Uh, I'm not, I'm not yet seeing the rehiring that we're all hoping for, uh, but I think that's coming. Um, and I think when that, when that starts kicking into high gear, uh, organizations are going to have a lot of choice about who they want to bring on board. I think there was a belief prior, you know, last fall that you know, there, there wasn't a lot of choice. Therefore, um, you know, there is more more competition for fewer resources and and that may be flipped now or may, you know but we don't know for sure if that's going to be the case. but one thing that remains the same is that when you are either hiring for someone or 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 moving someone in who's already employed into a new position, ensuring that they have uh, not only the the skills and capabilities to do the job that you've hired them for, but also the, the kind of team working skills and the interpersonal skills to be an effective problem solver, for instance, or work together with others to collaborate on, on uh, difficult uh, challenges. Because one thing we know for sure is that the world is going to continue to change and new challenges, new problems that we're going to have to solve. So if you, uh, you know, work on bringing people on board who are comfortable with and capable of solving challenges that they can't foresee at the moment, then that'll serve your organization really well. Let's turn it over to Meta now who has a question. And I think for this one, um, it's a question about re- retention, but, um, Maybe through the through the lens or through the context of uh, team effectiveness or team development to sort of frame this question up. But Mesa, do you want to um, go ahead and ask your question?
1: Yeah, um, my name is Maida. I'm from Mount Skigo. We're a small nonprofit in Minnesota. Um, and I guess my question is relatively similar to Nick's question, but so all of our employees are seasonal, including myself. Um, what, with your seasonal employees who come back year after year, what has you found is like the key reason they want to come back? Like how do you get those people to hold on and keep coming back, even though the only thing I can offer them is a seasonal position?
0: Uh, first of all, Matt, I, I looked at your, uh, your website for your ski area. It looks like the coolest place in the world. I can't wait to go try it sometime. Um, so the, the, the seasonal thing is, the, again, it's an, interesting, um, it's an interesting problem, I guess, but uh, uh, we've been very successful over the years. We have uh, about a 74% retention rate here for our seasonal staff. Uh, some of the things that that we find to be really effective is these people need to under they need to know that you care about them and that you care about their opinions and that you want to help them to succeed and and have each season be better than the last and uh, One of the things that we do every year um, is a fairly extensive climate survey and we do it company wide and uh, We ask um, every employee to give us their thoughts on. Uh, how they are viewing their supervisor senior management the programming that we do uh, Basically every aspect of their job uh, And then we review that with them um, Before the season ends and it's a great tool for communication of things that are on people's minds And you know things that might keep somebody from not wanting to come back in a in a future year um, We found those to be really uh, a really effective tool in keeping people engaged and letting them know that we really are interested in what they're thinking and and how they'd like to make the resort better. Uh, The other thing that we do is uh, off-season events. Um, We invite, we use this actually as a a two-pronged thing. It's a training opportunity for our summer adventure park staff, but uh, the week before we open for the season, we invite the entire winter staff and their families Uh, to come to the resort and uh, take part in all of our adventure park activities. So they can use the zip line, the tree course, do all, uh, ride the mountain coaster, do all that fun stuff. Uh, And then we give them a big meal as well. And it's just sort of a thank you for the winter and can't wait to see you back next year. And we get a lot of positive feedback about that. And you know, it's just another way to keep people engaged when they're not with you. Um, and I, I guess that would be my last key is just a lot of communication with folks uh, to to let them know that you can't wait for them to come back the following year.
3: Um, the, I wish we had the summer ops to to entice our our uh, winter guys to come back, but um, it is communication, and it is uh, they they like being here. so so again, we we have uh, returning employees they might go away to college, but they'll come back for, for Christmas break and work during their, their, you know, those times. And some of them come home on weekends just so that they can, uh, um, hang out here. Um, so I think it's, it's the atmosphere and, and, uh, and feeling part of it, of something that, that is, is, you know, worthy it's like it's worth they're spending their time being here um so uh they enjoy you know coming and seeing all their all their friends and their customers too i mean it's it's the kind of thing where you know it's it's making making work be more like play as as greg put it um you know uh th- just they want to be here so um uh <clears throat> that's that's pretty much how we get them to come returning year after year
4: and I'm just—I'm going to reiterate. Carolyn said it earlier. It's a lot of like feeling being part of a family. So I think much of what brings these people back are the relationships that they've built with their bosses, their coworkers, and again, as we've talked about, their guests. I mean, we not only do our our, our staff does our staff return, but also our guests return. So in many instances. It, uh, it's a little like old home week, um, and I think people really, really find that important. We also do, as I mentioned before, we try to um, give, you know, make it worth people's while to come back. We recognize the value of um, of people, of the skills that they have and the knowledge of the resort. So again, we try to comp- compensate accordingly. I think the the last thing that I'd say and it kind of goes back to that family it's another word to use but it's the camaraderie. At some level it's uh, it may be the level it may be the love of the sport uh whether you actually are out there um skiing or sliding or just being part of the uh excitement uh, particularly let's say in food and beverage um it's it's exciting it's fun. I think quite a few of our returning employees enjoy seeing serving people who are having fun. So that fun element is really important and staying in touch with them is key.
1: Retention is another key piece of effective teams. With a sudden end to the season last year, many folks were laid off earlier than they had expected to be. We asked Paul to weigh in on what leaders can and should be doing to retain talent during these off months.
2: Yeah, well, I would say my guess is that a lot of, uh, a lot of organizations have been communicating, if, you know, part, of, part of my playbook and, and many other playbooks that have been circulated around have, been, have urged leaders to maintain contact with, with laid off, furloughed, or seasonal workers uh, you know, to just keep them informed about what's going on. So I'll have to assume that a lot of people have been doing that, which is going to make the next step a lot easier. Which is being super clear and upfront about uh, where the where the area, where the resort is, what's going on, um, what the what you know what the um, you know capacity constraints and things will do to their hiring uh, uh, goals and things like that. So I think just being continuing to be transparent about what what the resort is going to do will be the, the key. Um, you know, A lot of folks are gonna be in different positions. Some are gonna be able to hire a lot more folks back than others. Uh, so I would say um, be, be honest and transparent about what it is your resort can do and is, and, and is willing to do and, and just, um, uh, I think that'll earn you a lot of trust from those, those folks, even if they don't end up coming back right away. We have another question here from uh, Steven at uh, Mammoth Mountain out in California. Uh, Steven, why don't you go ahead and ask your question? We'll just uh, go ahead, Steven. So at Mammoth Mountain, I work in our corporate sales and marketing team. So it's a little bit more of a, uh, I guess, corporate level question than an operationally based question. Um, So I wanted to know, I believe that empowerment and autonomy is a huge factor when it comes to building an effective team and being a good leader can you guys share an instant in your career where those two elements didn't exist in your respective position and how you overcame it
0: well first of all I, I um, I'm a little I I'm, I'm interested in the beginning of the of the question um, of, regarding empowerment and, and autonomy because I'm a big believer in empowerment and, and autonomy but I also am a big believer that if you empower people and make them autonomous without giving them a very clear sense of what it is they need to be doing and uh, some great, some very, uh, not strict, but solid boundaries, uh, clear expectation of results and, and constant feedback, um, I worry about just having empowerment and autonomy uh, you know, without those, those things in place because I think then you're just getting a whole bunch of people that may be highly motivated, uh, but if they're not all going in the same direction, that's gonna turn into a a pretty big mess pretty quickly. Um, And and to to answer the second part of that question, um, I don't, I can't, I I thought about this a lot, and I really couldn't come up with a time uh, where I didn't feel like I had that in in teams that I worked with. So um, I, I guess I'm just gonna take a pass on how I overcame it because uh, again, I think that if the right if the right parameters are in place as far as what the expectation is and what the you know what you're trying to get out of what it is that you're trying to do uh, if that's clear and everybody understands the rules of the game, uh, then I think that they can have lots of autonomy and uh, um, empowerment
3: um so uh, I, they, they we definitely uh, they, give our employees the, the ability to, to make the, on the, on the field decisions, you know, if something's not going right, they, they know that it's, it's up to them to fix it. And they oftentimes are rewarded um, in in doing so. So, um, you know, the the word gets out that, Hey, it's okay to to make it right. So, um, you know, it it, it is part of our orientation. It's part of our, you know, communication generally. Um, So, uh, you know, they understand that and, and it, it, It shows through in our NPS uh, net promoter score. um, You know, with our with our surveying of our our customers, it it, it comes through loud and clear through that that they they feel that they have the empowerment. Um, As far as uh, a personal situation, um, uh, I'm the youngest of five. I'm I'm the only female, so um, I was kind of put in that for my whole life is that I'm powerless and don't have any autonomy. I'm like the you know you know we're going here and you're just coming. So um, the way overcame it is I, I, um, I'm a female and I'm strong-minded and I, uh, I, I also show up and, 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 you know, have a strong opinion. So I, I, you know, it's, a, it's the, just by showing up and, and being there and being part of it is, is the, uh, is what I would say is, uh, is so important.
4: It, it's funny that, that Carolyn talks about being a female. Actually, I am too. And, you know, when my husband and I came back, my father was, Still running the business and entrepreneurs very often have like like control so I think people didn't necessarily know it but but mostly they wanted to please him and they wanted to understand what he wanted and they also understood where the paycheck came when my husband and I came into the business uh, as Carolyn sort of says I mean both, of, both my husband and I are fairly strong, have strong opinions. Um, and I, I think we don't always agree, all right? And we made it clear that, you know, when I, when I look at this empowerment and, and autonomy, the opposite to me of that would be groupthink. you know, where everybody sort of thinks the same thing because they think, what do they want us to think or do? And we made it very clear, somewhat based on our behavior, that this is not what is respected. What is respected, I think, as Carolyn said, is you show up, you show up prepared, and you show up and are, 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 are willing to challenge, um, and challenge with, with good ideas. Um, our MO in this company is to give people as much autonomy, again, to make decisions and to try stuff. But Greg also, I think, noted, you have to be, there are parameters. You know, what are the core values where we can't take a risk in terms of trying new stuff? And I would say that particularly within our organization and all of us here are in the ski business, and the ski business has risks, and so, let's say if we want to try some new things in food and beverage, let's go for it. Let's try it. Let's do layouts, what have you. But we have to be very careful in terms of the safety of our guests and our staff. And, and so let's say if, if that autonomy, that new idea, uh, that empowerment, that empowerment is not, cannot be anything that would jeopardize, I'm going to say, the health or safety of, of, of our community. So, you know, I think it's a balance. Uh, within our organization, again, we really want to encourage people thinking for themselves and pe- people bringing new ideas and good ideas and different ways to do stuff. But we also always have to be mindful about the responsibility that we have. To protect, um, to pro- uh, to protect our community.
2: That's, that's great. That's really interesting. There's probably a whole, you know, a whole hour we could spend just on that topic alone because it's so important, especially when you're leading a team um, and setting them up for success. Uh, oh, that's just incredible. So, we've we have about nine minutes left, and I'd love to uh, get one more question in from our mentees. Um, I. Uh, let's see let's uh can we go to alex uh from sunday river alex can you
5: share
1: your question yeah hi everyone thanks for being here this afternoon um my question is how can you keep teams motivated and upbeat during times of transition and turnover um it's funny that we've been speaking a lot about staffing because we've had a lot of turnover recently at sunday river and it can be a little chaotic and is derailing some of our culture so i'm wondering how that could be prevented in the future.
0: So this this, this is a really uh, interesting question for me, because um, I don't know whether you were on the call at the beginning when I was talking about the fact that I'm retiring very soon. Um, and it's created a lot of turbulence here at the resort, uh, primarily because uh, the, my board of commissioners, my oversight body, uh, has decided decided to keep the uh, appointment of my successor um, very much close to their vest, and they're doing this whole process by themselves. So none of us really have any idea, uh, even what their criteria is or how they're going about the process. And I don't have any idea at this point what my last day here is going to be, uh, and that can be very, um, very troubling, and it can be demotivating. Uh, so what, what we Really try to focus on again. It goes back to the mission. It goes back to um, You know, we have a strategic plan. We have um, uh, a roadmap of how we're going to uh, accomplish that plan and We made the conscious decision amongst my team that it just had to be all about the work and and uh, I think that that focusing on the mission is really a key when you're talking about transition you know you said it's it's affecting the culture you have to do everything you can to not let that happen because culture is incredibly important and uh the you, you have to work so hard at it and and it it's just devastating if you do lose it so um I would encourage you to coach your your fellow um Department managers whoever is like, you know no matter who's here, we're still Sunday River, we're still what we always were, and we're not going to change the culture just because the people have changed. I think that, that you know that that really has to come first and and it requires leadership at all levels of the organization so uh, you know, I would suggest maybe you have that conversation with some folks and just say, hey, you know what do we need to do to protect who we are and And the way we do things and what do these new people need to know to be assimilated into our culture as opposed to letting them try and change the culture you know to something that they don't want now if your new leadership or whatever comes in and and wants to change the culture um, you know then i think it's just a matter of you that's a personal decision whether you want to embrace that new culture uh, or not and I think, you know, in that instance, and I've talked to my folks about this as well, you know, they're all going to have to make their own decisions, but I would encourage them to try and embrace whatever change is coming uh, and try very hard to work within it as opposed to fighting against it um, and just wait and see what happens. Because in my experience, every time there's been a change, even though sometimes it's been painful, uh, ultimately we come out the better for it.
2: Great advice. Thanks, Greg. Um, Carolyn.
3: I think you nailed it there, Greg. With the uh, the communication is is key, and and uh, and making the or helping the new new people to um, understand the culture and incorporate them in the in the feeling like they are part of the team. We have weekly team meetings, and with our our managers, department heads, and 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 you know they feel like you know they can they can be you know understand what's going on, and 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 we have a internal uh watch net it's our uh in, intranet and uh and so that communicating through that letting uh people know you know we do an a through f scheduling so if it's if it's going to be you know lousy weather, um they understand that you know that that we don't need as many staffers staffers and it's you know just a constant communication piece and you definitely feel like um if if you know you drop the ball on that then they feel like they're you know Wandering aimlessly, and it's super important to, to keep everyone on the same page through orientations and training and, and general
4: communication. And it's, I'm going to sound like a drone here, um, but I think clear, candid, and consistent communication. Um, yeah, again, we we also do weekly team meetings, and that's such a good opportunity to get the word out. You know, when I looked at this question, another piece, I put it, I'm not sure, Alex, how much where, you know, how much you can necessarily affect this. But as much as we love this business, and we do, compensation is really important. And I think in periods of transition, people can be really concerned about what's going to happen to my compensation. You know, some people are there, because it's fun. But a lot of people that I work with, it's very important to their livelihood. So making sure as much as we can that all financial commitments um, are honored. Uh, don't mess with my paycheck. Um, I, think, I think that's important that people feel confident that whatever they signed up for financially, that this is still what, what, uh, what's, what's going to happen. Another piece that I think is really important if you can work through it it's it's difficult, but during times of transition like this, there's a lot of gossip, and the more you can kind of avoid the gossip and you know just make sure again that there's that clear candid, consistent communication uh because the gossip mill can be pretty destructive, I think uh, the last thing that I kind of <laughs> put on my list is as leaders no matter what remember we're in the fun business and if we're not conveying a positive Attitude that really trick trickles down So we need to put our game faces on and we need to get out there and enjoy skiing or do whatever we can um, even though it may be sort of challenging um, and people see us do that and people engage uh, so Uh, again, there is sort of some of that spirit of joy no matter what's happening in terms of the transition.
1: This is certainly a time of transition and turnover. For those leaders who will be relaunching teams, we asked Paul to provide recommendations for leaders putting the pieces together.
2: The uh, thing to keep in mind is that, you know, in this period, leaders are reconsidering everything, all of their operations, all of their, you know, back office, uh, processes, all of their kind of customer facing, um, you know, interactions and things like that. So everything's on the table with respect to how things can be done. And I think the same is true for team formation as well. Whether it's an existing team or one that needs to be created, I think leaders would do well to rethink how they set up their teams for success. You know, there's a lot of data that says, of teams actually fail to get the results that they were created to get. Um, This is, you know, data that's been, uh, you know, proven in research for decades actually. Um, And then what happens sometimes when a series of teams or a bunch of teams in one organization fail is that a a leader will say, well, we need a comprehensive approach to culture change. Maybe, you know, the reason so many teams are failing is that we have a bad culture. There's sort of a, low expectations or low accountability or something but the problem with that is seventy percent of change efforts actually fail to deliver the change that that organizations need uh, so what do you do and and I think going back to our original our original six conditions that really define team success, you know the the six conditions that I shared. Predict 80% of team effectiveness. So a thoughtful design of a team using those six conditions can really uh, almost, you know, can really stack the deck in favor of team success, so that they're getting the the results that the the team is is asked to do. Um, So I think that's one thing I would uh, encourage leaders to think about is relaunching their teams with a very clear and intentional design. Uh, so that they can achieve the results they're getting as opposed to just slapping people together gives them a vague mandate no support um, No real effect or maybe an aggressive timeline that can't be bet, be met uh, Not enough resources things like that. That's usually what happens
1: <laughs> Don't want to waste a good crisis
2: Well, this this crisis gives us a great opportunity to relaunch teams for sure, you know a little bit of advice on implementing your own team relaunch or any any team that you think would be um, in need of a relaunch and it's sort of the three p plan so and it's pause plan and perform so you know number one you know stop the action you know take a take a little bit of a macro level view assess the team conditions see where they're at i mean we, we discussed the six team conditions so if you can kind of you know, even just do a thumbnail analysis on your own back of back of an envelope, for instance, to see what the team needs. That would be really important. So pause, plan, right? So give, you know, pick one of the team effectiveness conditions and focus on it to build a little bit of clarity, and then perform, right? Build a concrete plan, support the team through its growth, because you know, change, as uh, as with anything, to take a little practice and getting used to. So supporting that team by, by coaching them is going to be a critical aspect. So my advice would be uh, implementing a relaunch through the three P process, pause, plan, and perform. And I wanted to uh, challenge our mentors with this lightning round question that's completely unscripted. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, it can be a, a one word plus a sentence. Be your answer just because we've got we're running short on time. So, the question is this: what's more important to specify with a team, the means or the ends? Wow, um,
0: I would say the ends
3: mm-hmm.
0: because, okay. it's, yeah, for sure.
3: Okay, totally the end. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't care how you get there, just get there and make it fun yeah
4: yeah yeah because telling people how to do stuff you don't necessarily get the uh, the best outcome but helping people understand what the end is then everybody could kind of contribute to what's the best way to get there
0: and that in your next hour is when you get in now that you've got the ends established making the you know the ground rules for how you get what the means are and how you get there and and uh but it's definitely the ends.
2: Absolutely. Yep. That is. Uh, you 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 find you're fine leaders for a reason because the research suggests the leaders that uh, specify the ends are uh, have much more effective teams. Well then, congratulations. That was a little-
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's little Lucky thing we answered correctly. <laughs> Did we we passed. Glad
0: wasn't, it wasn't, it oh, wasn't an A B You have to do both. You have to do both.
1: Communicating the ends is certainly priority. But how does a leader do that when we don't know what the ends are supposed to look like? Or to maintain the orchestra metaphor, what the song is supposed to be?
2: Well, even though the long-range uh, picture may have changed because of all of the confusion and, and, and challenges that are going on in the world, what a team can do to stay effective is to you know, shorten their, their line of sight a little bit into the things they know for sure are going to happen um so for instance you know we don't know what the new normal looks like but we know for sure there's going to be a season next winter for instance right um so i would say if if that is the end uh that everybody's working towards um then uh defining you know then then leaving the team to uh figure out how to get, get to that stage is is what a what a team leader can do right so i think just redefining the ends to something that's relatively known and 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 clear is is an important part of the process
1: as the covid pandemic has unfolded the team at sam has continued to ask what is the future of the mountain resort industry and we do this to keep our sights on what's important and sam is more focused than ever on helping make the future bright staying informed connected and thinking about next steps is of the utmost importance Check out the SAM coronavirus update page at saminfo.com and join our weekly huddle to discuss the current situation by visiting saminfo.com huddle. While you're there, consider supporting us as a vital source of information during these trying times by subscribing at saminfo.com slash subscribe. Want more information on relaunching your teams? Check out www.highpeaksgroup.com and touch base with series facilitator Paul Toller. We've been releasing our special huddle mini series about weathering the COVID-19 pandemic, but we have more Summit Series episodes coming your way. Like, subscribe, and stay in touch at www.saminfo.com. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Remix Podcast Guy. I am Sarah Bordeyev, and thank you for listening to PodSAM.